Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Green Tagged, everybody. My name is Scott Swenson, and I'm here with my co-host, Philip Hernandez. Hello, Philip. Howdy, Scott. How are you? I am doing very well. We have a ton of stuff to talk about this week. We have a ton of stuff. Now, there's been some big stories. There's been some little stories. And we're going to try to rush through as many of them as we can as I set my timer for 30 minutes. Because as promised, we will deliver you theme park in 30. And the stuff that we think is important and, and of course, our opinions on it. Because it's our show. That's the way it works. Funny yes, and works. I... I am the disclaimer guy, so I'm going to put the disclaimer in that we had to record this early. Uh, so we are recording this on the 20th of October. And if something uh, meteoric happens, between, you know, we're not talking about it because we didn't think it was important. We're not talking, we're just, we are recording this on this day and this is the news that's available on this day. So here we are. That's my disclaimer. That's a, no, that's a great disclaimer because, you know, if something either monumental or catastrophic happens in the next five days, you know, we won't be talking about it. But if it's really catastrophic, you might not be listening. So there you go. <laughs> How's that for a positive note? Hey? That's wonderful. Ah, <laughs> uh, great. So let's well, start off with some trends here. Uh, let's, so yeah, let's go to the positive. Let's go to the positive. So the first uh, trend that we want to talk about is a little bit about, uh, we're kind of grouping these all together, but the first one is sort of on the topic of, of attractions moving more towards a sustainability. So first one is Warner Brothers Abu Dhabi unveils a solar power project. Roughly 16,000 solar modules will be installed across the 36,000 square meter roof area of Warner Brothers. Uh, World Abu Dhabi on Yas Island in the United Arab Emir Emirates following Emirates. an agreement. Emirates. I'll help. An agreement between... I'll help with uh, words. It's okay. So, so they... The, the project is expected to be up and running for the fourth quarter of 2021 and generate almost 40% of the park's annual energy demand, which I thought was an eye-popping number, 40% of the park's annual energy demand. Um, so I think this is a great idea, and let's go ahead and pair it with the Expo 2020 Dubai to galvanize global action in climate change, uh, which this one just kind of previews a lineup of experts that's going to be at the Expo 2020 in Dubai, all about change makers and industry leaders talking about climate and biodiversity for, for their climate and biodiversity week. Uh, so taken together, we see definitely a, a trend in the UAE area, but also a little bit about how attractions I think can get into this. And this isn't the first time we've heard about this. There are other attractions that are moving towards figuring out how to be more sustainable and reduce their footprint. And I think that it, it will be a continually a, a continuing conversation that we're going to have with theme parks is the sustainability uh, of them, especially as you look at bringing in younger audiences that are more, uh, we've seen, you know, that that's definitely a, a topic that's top of mind to them. And I think, uh, 
theme parks, I think also are generally targets for these types of things, you know, where, because we're not, not essential, quote unquote, you know, we are entertainment space. It's like, do people want to be supporting entertainment that uh, is, that is not, uh, I don't know, carbon neutral or climate minded. So, well, I, you know, and I, I have, you know, me, I always want to know why. Um, for my first question is why UAE, why are they the most interested in this? And I think the, the answer is pretty obvious. It's tough to get power there. I mean, you know, solar is, is the most, um, the most accessible. I mean, obviously I know you're all saying, no, there's plenty of oil there. Yes, there is. But you know, that's, if that's a finite and solar power is not. So they're looking, they're looking way ahead. And my second question is why now? Why is it that now they're looking into something that could have saved them, you know, 40% of the park's annual energy demand for years gone by? I mean, solar power is not something that just magically appeared yesterday. So um, I, to me, it sounds like, and hopefully, uh, and I'm singing their praises, I'm not, I'm not being negative about it. Hopefully other parks will recognize, you know what, we've kicked the can down the road long enough on biting the bullet and investing in um, something that's going to save us in the long run. It kind of goes back to you know how do you prepare for a for a uh, for a catastrophe? Um, you always prepare for a catastrophe. You plan ahead so that you know when your supply chain, uh, whether that be your supply of power or your supply of paper cups, dries up, you have another way around it. You have a detour that will will get you what you need. And I think the idea of shifting to solar is super smart. It will reduce costs. It will make it so that parks. Um, in the future, if there's another, you know, God forbid, another pandemic or another who knows what could happen in this world um, where the, the attendance drops, well, they'll already have this incredible savings because their energy costs have dropped by 40%. So it's time to stop kicking the can down the road. And and I, I congratulate uh, the Warner Brothers group and the folks in Dubai for at least at the very least paying attention to it and at the very most installing what they should have installed, you know, in the past. So Kudos to them, and hopefully, um, some of the American theme parks will will dive on that on that bandwagon as well. So now let's go from kind of the sublime to the ridiculous. Um, <clears throat> this is this was a very interesting story to me, and and I think because I'm a very visual person, I think it was the visual images that frightened me even more than just the words. But more than 600 million people traveled to China during Golden Week. More than 637 million people traveled within China over the past week in celebration of the country's annual Golden Week, the country's government, uh, the country's government said on Friday. Um, the government estimates domestic travelers generated about 466 billion yen or $68.6 billion in tourism revenue during the holiday period. And you may, you may be thinking, oh my gosh, Scott, this is great. This is wonderful. Tourism is back in China and it's generating revenue and we hope that that spreads until you see some of these photos. And they are um, photos of shoulder to shoulder crowds that go on as far as the eye can see. Um, in, I believe one of them, is it is it downtown, is it downtown Shanghai? Where is that one? There's one that's there's one that's like in a major metropolitan area. There's one along the Great Wall of China, which for those of you who are watching the video, Philip just brought up um, the train stations, the, the 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 travel transport areas, literally shoulder to shoulder people and very few of them wearing any sort of facial protection. Um, there's some, but it's certainly not everyone. 
And I, I look at this and I think, you know, this is, uh, it's great that people have the, the, the confidence and the courage to start traveling again, but hopefully, hopefully people are looking at it intelligently. Um, you know, I'm about to go, I'm about to travel as well. So I'm, I'm all about uh, getting my appropriate facial protection and my alcohol wipes and all that sort of garbage. But to see these masses of people traveling and traveling in a way that has been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt but to help, you know, they're not even thinking about facial coverings. Um, I, I don't think this is good news. I think this is terrifying. Well, I think that it definitely is situational and that this is a, a situation where um, China is in a, a different state so I, I will. I will. Different state. It's a different country. Next story here. It's a different country. Yes, yeah, a different country. Um, it's it's a different country in so many ways. Uh, so, so I put it in a, a different story here, which is um, the Chinese port city of Quandao is under soft lockdown after a cluster of thirteen COVID nineteen cases was discovered last weekend. In the past five days, health authorities say they conducted more than ten million coronavirus tests in for all of the residents of that city. Uh, all of which came back negative after they quarantined those 13. Uh, still, residents have been asked to remain at home. Flights to Beijing have been canceled and travelers from Guangdo to other parts of China must quarantine. All 13 cases were tracked back to a hospital. They said on Friday, the 13 include seven patients, three health workers and a doc worker and two people in close contact with the others. Um, so I think <clears throat> it's a different situation entirely. So I agree partially that it is uh, it is a little frightening, but I also think it's frightening because we, you know, in the U.S., are in a different phase of of the of the pandemic than China is, um, and also look at um, uh, look at so basically they they have this uh, that you know they they have a, a long term system in place for tracking this. They discovered that. Uh, one person was tested positive in a random screening. And so they moved immediately within five days to do 10 million tests, which is more than we do in a very long period. Uh, and then they quarantined those two, those 13 people. They did contact tracing. They shut down flights. Um, they moved in a way that is definitely only, uh, only available to authority, authoritarian countries, obviously, you know, but the, the, the swift and immediate action of this to, to kind of, capture that and only 13 cases i mean i mean i mean i'm like oh, it's only thing only 13 cases um so i do agree it is terrifying but also it's, it's a different situation and i guess i'm wondering the part we didn't hear in this story uh, about the millions of people traveling right was what sort of tourism contingency plans did they put in place you know did they have plans for golden week i don't know they didn't say they probably did well, and and they did they did mention that that tourism was actually down for Golden Week, you know, <laughs> the, only down the, by a hundred and thirty million, yeah, a hundred and some whatever. million, yeah, <laughs> something like that. But so you know, I think that was their I think that was their caveat. I, you know, I understand that, and I understand it is a different world. And you certainly understand having traveled there more than well, significantly more than I have because I've never been to China. Um, so I, you you have a much better comprehension of that. But I just I don't know. I look at it and I think. Even, even with the ability to just all of a sudden mandate, you know, you 10 million people are going to get tested. Why would you even, why would you even put yourself in that situation? Why would you even put yourself at risk? 
like that. Well, and, and I think the, I just want to make sure I just want to make sure that I just want to make sure that in the, and maybe and again, maybe this is ugly American talking. Maybe this is me just saying we could never do that here. Um, I get frustrated enough going to the grocery store. So just imagine being on the Great Wall of China, being shoulder to shoulder with another, you know, 2.5 million strangers. I, I think that the reason that we're bringing it up is exactly your point of, you know, eventually the, this trend will get here to the U.S. and we will have to decide um, as amusement and, and attractions and tourism leaders, we're going to have to decide, you know, what the capacity, are, that how, how we're going to return to this. You know, uh, I think uh, there's going to be a bridge at some point where we have to cross. So we're going to say, we're going to go back to the way that it was where um, some of these pictures, you know, I'm, I've been to Epcot every year for their, for their big celebrations and their uh, New Year's Eve when they get to full closure in the middle of the afternoon. Um, and, you know, I've been to Magic Kingdom at full closure. I've been to all these places and just regularly, I'm a theme park nerd. And um, they look about the same to me, <laughs> like these pictures and how it looks on on New Year's Eve in at Epcot. Um, you know, especially in the Chinese Pavilion with the like dragon with the flames and the RDM music. So we're going to have to decide at some point, you know, are we going to allow that to get back to where it is um, and do our profit models work, you know, uh, without that, if, if we decide to not go in that vein well, or not. And, and, and I agree with you 100%. It does look a lot like a crowded theme park. But let me ask you mm -hmm. this. Right now, today, would you go to Epcot with that kind of attendance? Oh, gosh, no, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't at all. But I rest my case. That's exactly my point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, 600 well, so, so million people well in China, apparently. And I don't know absolutely. if that's good or bad. <laughs> well, and, it's, and, and again, I don't know whether it's good or bad either. And I, and I think that's important to, I, I don't think people should stop traveling. I don't think we should shut everything down. I'm not suggesting that for a moment. What I am suggesting is that we need to continue to find ways to open safely, because I completely agree that it's time to open back up. But uh, I've also said that many times, anybody expecting to go back to the old ways, the way things always were, you're going to be sorely disappointed because that's never going to come. So, and if it does, it's going to come in another 10 to 15 years. So we'll see, we'll see. But, you know, on a positive note, and this is, I think this is, this next story is a great example of one of the things that I think is a, a positive turn to this. Um, new hygiene standards for Hong Kong tourism business businesses aimed at getting out the message that the city is safe to visit despite the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm going to summarize this, and Philip, you can probably summarize it in greater detail than I. But basically, this is uh, the tourism board is basically setting hygiene standards, and the businesses can get recognized for meeting these hygiene standards. I mean, it's sort of like the good housekeeping seal if you're an old guy like me. It's it's being recognized as we meet all these standards. We have a government agency that has reviewed that we meet all these standards, and therefore we are safe. To me, that makes far more sense than, than just opening the doors. Now, maybe, maybe these two run hand in hand. Maybe that's why there's you know, uh, more, more travel going on in other places in the world. But I would love to see something like this happening, certainly in the United States, because um, uh, I don't. I don't see it happening in the United States. I see a lot of, a lot of uh, conflicting information and a lot of conflicting government intervention, um, both locally and state and federal. And um, 
so I would love it if we could get some sort of unified, here's the standard. And if you follow it, you get a gold star on your door that says, come on in, we're doing everything we can. Uh, I agree. I also don't think they're mutually exclusive. It, as in, uh, I don't think that um, there's room for both. There's room for the uh, strong government system or government support in some way to help with a large-scale contact tracing or outbreak contingency plan, as well as uh, a tourism board coming up with long-term safety standards that are applicable to attractions. I think that there's room for for both of these things. And I do... <clears throat> I do love what they're doing. I do. I also do love that it's the Hong Kong Tourism Board here. It's not the like the the local government or you know. It's with, it's with association, but it's it's from an association of people that are tourism minded that understand the specifics of the industry. It's not coming from people who don't, and I that's what I like about it. And um, I most of their changes are things we've already seen beaten into our heads over and over and over. Uh, the one that I thought was most interesting was that the rules include requiring restaurants to ensure enough ventilation to change their air six times per hour uh, or to go in and install uh, a certain grade of, of HEPA filter to make sure it filters out virus particles. Um, and they're looking at that for any indoor places, uh, including inside theme parks. And I think those little details are, are interesting and, and really important. And I think that, again, having a unified marketing plan so they can go and they can they can market it out to people and say here are all the things that that this this restaurant ha we've we've in, we've checked that it has proper ventilation it has safety da, da 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 you know it's just like uh back when i was in a hospitality program and you had to get serve safe certified and you had to do all these you know you get your inspection notice you know but it's just an extension of that to include COVID, but I think that's brilliant because it, it's a consumer trust and marketing issue. Um, so it's great. I love it. Yeah, I, I love it too. I, I don't know whether I agree that there's room for all of it simply because then there's no single standard. Um, I think that it, we need we need to find something we can get behind and say, here is what the standard is. Um, and again, maybe this is an American point of view because there's so much infighting back and forth. But I, I love the idea. I agree with you. I think it's a great idea that it is coming from um, the tourism industry, the tourism board, uh, people who understand and have a vested interest in, in reopening and reopening safely um, and staying open. I think that's probably the most important thing. And, and that's what hopefully this can can drive to is, is encouraging people to get that, that gold star so that it translates guests feeling feeling safe into revenue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not just, well, we're doing this because we think we should. No, if, a, if somebody like me sees that you are certified by the Hong Kong Tourism Board, that you have met all of these, you know, restrictions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, or recommendations, I'm more likely to book my, my travel there than the guy down the road who doesn't have that little sign on the door. Just my opinion. So um, the next uh, item here in our policy section is uh, reopening guidance issued for attractions in India. So India has received reopening guidelines um, and the government has granted permission for the parks to reopen. However, there is skepticism from the park operators saying they're not sure if when they reopen, there's going to be the amount of people that they need to really sustain it. Um, and the quote here from the president of the uh, association said that hardly, hardly 25 to 30% of attendance is there for, um, 
for restaurants in the local area. And so he's kind of attributing the restaurants to what they might see. Uh, and he's saying that people may not prioritize visiting entertainment parks amid the still raging pandemic, which calls back to what Scott said of, um, basically the association is saying, we're gonna open and we're happy that the government uh, is giving us guidelines. We're just not sure it's gonna do any good because people don't feel safe. And if they don't feel safe, they're not gonna come to our entertainment venue. <laughs> It's what we were talking about earlier when we had parks operating, you know, parks in Florida, for example, operating under a um, specific percentage of attendance and they wanted to expand that, but they weren't even meeting the restricted percentage prior to that. So was it necessary to expand it? And and maybe, you know, each each independent business owner in India and anywhere else for uh, for that matter is going to have to make their own choices. They're going to have to say, yeah, you know what? This is going to this is going to help us or this is not. We just can't open because we're not going to get enough people in even if we get up to 50% of attendance. You know, it and and again, that goes back to create your business model so that you know what to do when your attendance drops to 50 to 25% of what you're used to. So, yeah, I uh I think it's an interesting quandary. It's like, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Do we make it mm -hmm. safe? And uh, do we make it so that everybody can return and tell everybody it's safe? Or do we, and, and yet they don't, or do we convince everybody that it's safe so that they want to return? I mean, it's it sounds kind of like the same thing, but it's clearly not. And I think it's a real, I think it's a real dilemma. I think the focus, in my opinion, the focus should be on finding standards, setting standards and adhering to them. Well, in that vein, let's jump down to our uh, right-sizing and rediscovering your North Star section. And uh, in the right-sizing section portion of this, we have uh, Six Flags announced that they are doing a 10% reduction in the workforce, which amounts to uh, 240 jobs. Uh, this is its full-time workforce, by the way, uh, as part of the company's transformation, uh, productively initiates program more details will be revealed later in the month and we'll pair that with Disneyland in California loses an estimated 2.2 billion US dollars in revenue. Disneyland at Resort in Anaheim, in Anaheim, in Anaheim California has lost 2.2 billion from closures of hotels and theme parks during the coronavirus outbreak, costing the Southern California economy 5 billion according to studies. Disney properties worldwide could take an additional 21 billion hit through 2022 if conditions persist. I'm not sure about that last line because it's like, okay, if I don't think conditions are going to persist through 2022. I don't think that's um, something's going to happen at some point um, relatively. Yeah, relatively. they could they could get better or worse. Persisting is, yeah. is you know, the, the only thing the, the only thing consistent is change. So exactly. Uh, it's and and again, we're prognosticating based on very, very little past history information. So we have no idea. We have no idea what's going to happen. However, however, there are there are parks that are. Um, making some some interesting choices and finding some interesting balances. And Philip, I know this is a, a story that's very near and dear to your heart because this mm -hmm. is, I think probably the park, let me put it this way. It's at least the park you talk about the most, oh, if not so your true. favorite park. I, I know you don't want to choose favorites, but it's the park you talk about an awful lot. And I know you have a lot of uh, friends and connections affiliated um, with Ocean Park. So I'll let you kind of ramble into these and then I'll come in and just kind of, you know, Share my yes. two cents. Okay, so it, continuing our, our right-sizing thing, um, the last two stories we have are both concerning the Hong Kong area and 
specifically Ocean Park. And I think part of that is because Ocean Park is government owned and it, and so all of its records are open to everybody. So there's more data about how the park is doing than Disneyland, who's kind of like, we're not going to tell anybody anything. Um, so uh, plus Disneyland was just slapped, as you remember last week, uh, Hong Kong was because they denied their bid for more land. So, um, so there's that. But so... There, we are two stories here. The first story is on the business side of things, and it is basically like a big a business diagnostic about what the park the parks are doing. The second story is from a basically we'll call him um, a really intelligent uh, fan who is talking about from his perspective what Ocean Park could do to pivot. And so we're pairing these together because they're just, it's like one is more of an insider view and the other one is like a fan talking about what they think, um, which sometimes are interesting discussions to talk about uh, because the fans are outside of the world looking in. Um, so in the first business story, uh, who they quoted most was the former Ocean Park chairman, Alan Zeman. And he is no longer working with the park, but um, they didn't, it's interesting, they didn't really get too many quotes from the park staff. As you know, they just, as you, as you know from listening to us they, and me, they just switched over their executive team this year uh, so that it is a new team. But Alan came in and, and kind of gave um, gave some quotes for this because he was the one that kind of pivoted the park out of the SARS outbreak in 2003, which was Hong Kong was more hit by that than the U.S. But um, some of the good lines he has here is just closing the business kills the business, which we've talked about before on the show, but it's a great, great stance. And he said his magic trick was to roll out new events every six weeks, announcing them at exciting press conferences planned for maximum publicity. Sometimes he appeared as a jellyfish or a vampire, and it was a photo opportunity. Um, and uh, the article does say current chairman, the current chairman is making on staycations, which you already talked about previously on the show, and lower entry prices and new activities, such as the yoga, which we talked about last time. Um, despite the efforts being made by the two theme parks, um, the deputy chairman at the China Travel Service said it would prove a challenge to, to depend solely on local guests. He said the ocean park became less attractive to mainlanders after the Chimlong Ocean Park Kingdom opened in 2014. And then they brought in a professor from the Macau Institute for Tourism Studies, which said that slashing ticket prices was unavoidable, but that you you should slash them, yes, but just be mind, mindful that uh, people, guests who get used to paying less, would resist any return to higher prices, uh, which is something we've heard drilled into us in the U.S. forever. Um, and they also, that professor also added that uh, cutting prices, you might get the numbers, but more is not necessarily better. And that less crowded means less money, of course. So that will encourage acceleration of the use of technological solutions. Probably in the next generation of theme parks, they'll have to use technology to customize the experience, even if people have to pay extra. So that's the first chunk is just the business side of it. And Alan and, and the other professors commenting on the business pivots. And in the opinion piece, um, this, this young guy uh, says some really neat things. He says, um, Ocean Park... Hong Kong needs to be rebranded and reshaped into a site that caters not just to those who relish nostalgia for the good old days of 1980s Hong Kong, but also a younger crowd to artists and high-spending visitors looking for a boutique experience and to tourists seeking an easy escape from Hong Kong's concrete jungle. And he gives some examples about, um, he does mention Halloween being important to their brand. And he mentions, um, let's see. I love the fact that he talks about bringing in um, 
fledgling theater groups, um, mm-hmm. struggling to find permanent and affordable venues. Um, it says to a young person in Hong Kong, these are the tribes that best tif- typify Hong Kong culture. I, as a theater guy, I love that. I love the mm-hmm. fact that they're looking at, and and to be honest, it's something that that we're exploring here in Florida as well. So, um, at least certainly with some of my clients. So I think it's I think that is exactly the way to go. Um, again, I I don't think it's necessarily a full rebranding. I don't think it's abandoning their north star, which has always been to entertain and gather guests. I think it's finding new ways to do it based on the new world and based on the new culture. You know, one of the things that that we learned um, certainly here in the United States during 9-11 was you have to have a balance between tourism customers and local customers. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think the idea of the festival or the special event um, is probably the most useful tool because it lights a fuse under guests visiting your park, um, local guests especially, who will say, no, I'll get there eventually. Well, when you have a specific special event that is a limited time, it gets people off their tuchuses and gets them out to the park. So I think that is exactly right. I think uh, pairing more with the nonprofit world and pairing more with the cultural world of the city is super smart. And and I give credit. Um, I think that Again, redefining what a theme park is and certainly not just what your theme park is, but what all theme parks are and what they can be. And the answer may not be the same for everybody. So I think it's important to recognize that the Wild West is opening up and we need to to redefine, continue our general North Star, just find a different pathway to do it. You know, I was talking to Philip before the show and I said, if you if you come upon a road that is closed while you're driving, what do you do? You detour around it, but you still end up at your destination. And I think that's exactly what can and should be done. And and this, these, these last two stories are very positive ways of looking at how this is happening. This is more in the hotel world than anything else. But um, Universal Music has now uh, announced plans for three different hotels in Biloxi, in Atlanta, and Orlando that are music-based and giant concert venues. So here's the idea of basically saying, let's not go to the concert and then stay in a hotel. Let's watch the concert from our hotel, which I think is brilliant. It gives you the opportunity to control um, control uh, physical distancing. It gives you the opportunity to not just be one or the other. You're not just a hotel and you're not just a concert venue. You're both. So you can uh, basically make your assets work in two different ways, which I think is super smart. And of course, the other one that I think every Disney, Disney file has been chomping at the bit, or certainly Star Wars file has been chomping at the bit, is Galactic Star Cruiser, which in essence is, I call it a two-day cruise in dry dock. But instead of going out in the ocean uh, through technology, you actually go into outer space. And I mean, it's it's done to the level where each and every uh, guest cabin has a window that looks out into outer space, something that they um, did they do very well on Disney Cruise Lines for internal cabins? So, um, and it's a two a two day or two night immersive experience that uh, that basically takes people out of large crowds and puts them into manageable smaller ones. Again, it's redefining um, not only hotels but themed experiences. It's taking two things that have uh, similar interests and similar infrastructure and melding them together in a new and controllable way. And I really, I really think that that kind of pivot is what we need and what it's all about. And not just on the small level, but also on the really, really large level. Obviously, that was my timer going off, which means that uh, we're going to end this 30 minutes on that very positive pivot from both Universal Music Hotels and uh, the folks at Disney for Galactic Star Cruiser. Um, I, I, gosh, I think we got everything in, Philip. 
We did. We did. Um, I'm, sh- I'm shocked and amazed. <laughs> shocked and amazed. Well, that's it for this week's show. Uh, I want to add, please give us a review. If you do listen to this in iTunes, please give us a review in iTunes. That does really help the show get ranked up there. And thank you to the um, three reviewers and two that left uh, text reviews already. Those are wonderful. We love reading them. It gives us, uh, well, it gives me at least a lot of, a lot of, uh, good feelings that's right and and if you want to know more go to uh, greentagshow.com where you can subscribe and you can find us on all platforms so until next week thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you in a week Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.